Welcome to episode 42 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is Anshul Sag. And Anshul, we had a busy week, didn't we, buddy? Yep. <laughs> we're uh-huh. we're going to go through, yeah, we're going to go through a lot of information here, um, a lot of it related to C-band, but let's jump into it. So my first topic, so I want to do a quick lightning round recap. So T-Mobile for Business and AT&T over the last week had analyst days. So um, I'll provide my, you know, my feedback and I want Anshul to chime in as well. So T-Mobile, no surprise, very, very aggressive, great presentations by Mike Sievert, by Neville Ray and other executives really touting their leadership. And the focus was really on that complete spectrum, exiting the C-band auction. Um, T-Mobile added a little bit to, um, you know, their portfolio, but again, you know, their, their claim to fame is like having this layer cake, you know, footprint and, um, and having this advantage um, over their competitors with respect to, uh, to not only low band, but, but mid band spectrum, given those assets that came out of the Sprint merger. So again, no surprise, you know, um, very, very aggressive in their, um, you know, and they're speaking to their leadership there. AT&T happened um, late this week. Yeah, this morning on um, Friday as we're recording on Friday. Um, again, you know, I'm impressed with AT&T. I mean, they, they, they bring, you know, content through Warner Media along with, you know, great connectivity, great fiber footprint, wire, you know, wireline and wireless. Um, one, one little soundbite that I did pick out of the, um, the AT&T event, they talked about their, their broadband business and how that's lifted ARPU about 10%. And that's no surprise given um, work from home and COVID and the need for that. Even though they did overall have a, have a soft year revenue-wise, they did see some lift in ARPU as a result of, uh, of their broadband service. So, Angel, what's your take on the T-Mobile and AT&T analyst days? So the AT&T analyst day was interesting because they did talk about fiber, which I'm currently a customer of and I've been very happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that it would be nice to see more of AT&T's fiber built out. And they said they're going to be adding 3 million more customers. Uh, that's their goal. Um, and I think that would put them over 10 million. I think they're somewhere around 8 million uh, mm-hmm. right now. Um, but, it, you know, fiber is an expensive thing to roll out. Um, but I think if you plan it right, you can do it in a lot of places uh, where it makes sense, which is obviously where you have density. Um, suburban areas are just not as beneficial, in my opinion, unless you really target those denser um, complexes like where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, that the fiber build also helps them with 5G, right? Because it gives them that fiber infrastructure to be able to build out small cell and other macro sites much more easily. Um, so it pays for itself twice, really. Um, but I think that they're still very clearly rolling out their 5G+. Plus. There was a lot of talk about 5G+, plus, uh, in a lot of different applications. Um, but I think that they were the most, um, I don't know how to put it, like they were the least aggressive. Conservative. With, they're yeah, definitely they're the most, conservative. They were definitely the more, most conservative in, in how they presented themselves. Uh, compared to T-Mobile and Verizon. Um, I'll bring up Verizon in my topic for today. Um, But there was all, you know, both carriers talked about C-band excessively. Um, uh, I think 
I think T-Mobile talked about it more than AT&T and nobody talked about CBAN as much as Verizon. Um, but I think that T-Mobile presented a very solid um, future for themselves. And I think it was really smart for them to address the fact that, yes, we have the leadership today. Nobody disputes that. But we will also continue to maintain that leadership in the future. And I think that was a very important point for them to hit home uh, because a lot of people seem to be acting like, you know, once Verizon and AT&T get a hold of C-Band, everything's back to normal again. Right, right. And it seems like T-Mobile, you know, doesn't necessarily agree with that vision of the future, especially considering that uh, they made a very good point that if, now that they have this 2.5 gigahertz rollout and they're, they're once they're done with it, deploying 3.7 to 4 gigahertz will be a breeze for them. They won't have to deploy any additional infrastructure. It'll already be densified enough and they will just be able to pick which cell sites they want to roll out to, um, to get that extra capacity. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting um, situation, uh, but I do want to delve more deeply in Verizon in my topic. So I'll, I'll stop yep. there. Yeah, I know. So that's a great segue to your topic. So um, Verizon held a business analyst day last week that I attended. I think I spoke to some of that, but they actually had yeah. a capital. Yeah, they had a capital markets day this week. And um, I, I'd love to hear your take. And I, I want to interject there as well, but I'll let you take it. Yeah. So Verizon's uh, financial analyst day, industry analyst day, whatever you want to call it, they market were, day, whatever. Market <laughs> day. They they basically went in and said, um, C band is is king. Um, they barely mentioned millimeter wave, which is fascinating because Verizon's been talking about millimeter wave. That's all they've talked about <laughs> for the last two years. Right. Uh, they acted like it was you know the future, uh, and I do think that the millimeter wave is the future in some places in some applications. But nationwide, it's not possible, and it never was. And that was my biggest gripe with Verizon from the beginning is yeah. I love millimeter wave. I think there's so many awesome things you can do with it, but you can't build a nationwide network with it, no. and you can't tell people you're going to. And that's really my rub with them. But, yeah. you know, they went ham on C-band. They talk about C-band literally every 60 seconds, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you <laughs> did the C-band drinking game, you would have lost it during that one. Um <laughs> But the truth is, it's, I think it plugs a very big hole in their network. Um, yeah. Verizon has a very good reputation for extremely good coverage with low band. And they have a very good reputation with their millimeter wave getting top speeds. And even I had quite good performance with millimeter wave. I was getting over a gig per second at over 500 feet away from a cell site. So, like, it's yeah. legit. I like it. I think there's a lot of good applications for it. But they miss it. They, have a huge, they had a huge chunk missing in the middle. And that was C-band. Um, and I think that it's going to solve a lot of problems for them. Um, but I think that their strategy seems a little bit incongruent. There doesn't yes. seem to be, you know, when they presented it, they said, we're going to roll this out and we're going to spend an extra $10 billion over three years. Right. And that's a lot of money. Uh, in addition to the 45 they spent, which will be 50, 55, 56 with clearing costs. Um, so they're going to end up spending upwards of 60, I think they're going to end up spending $64 billion total once everything is said and done. And I actually don't think that's going to be enough because as we both watched that, they said they don't need to have a low band carrier aggregation to get good coverage 
with their C band, which I don't agree with. And they also said they're not going to have to densify, which I also don't agree with. You have to either do one or both or to the get other. Yeah, complete, yeah. complete coverage because their current network PCS is like two gigahertz. And that's almost double the frequency, the propagation of that, which T-Mobile actually mentioned in their own thing. They kind of, you know, they had a counter messaging that came out during Verizon's um, analyst day where they basically said, we, we don't think that they're, network can propagate as far as they say it's going to. Uh, we think they're going to have to densify. And Verizon was, I think Verizon, to your point, which you and I discussed privately, um, I think that they, they were, they're afraid of acknowledging that they are going to have to spend more money to densify. Well, you know, the incremental 10 billion over three years, I mean, that's my interpretation. That, that's going to be, you know, part of good part of that's going to be have to, invested in densification of the network, but let's do the math on this. So 45, 46 billion to your point after clearing costs, that jumps up even higher. 64. And incre yeah, incremental 10 billion over the next three years to, to deploy out C-band. That's in addition to the 18 billion that they are planned CapEx for this year. Do the math on that. And like, I mean, they're going to have to come up with like the, the next, you know, ride sharing, you know, application for enterprise to even begin to recoup the investment, all of this. So like, well, I'm just scratching my head, figuring out like, how are they going to amortize these investments so over the math, service delivery? The math that I saw was that they planned on only allowing the premium tier 5G plans, the ultimate one, the one that's cost the most yeah. to have access to C-band, which okay. I think is a mistake. Yeah. Um, I think it's a huge mistake. I think it's a huge mistake, much like them trying to charge extra for 5G, because right. I don't think you get the scale you need and you're gonna have a lot of very unhappy customers. And I don't think people are going to move up in rate plans to get access to C-band. They're going to expect that they can have access to it if they're already in the 5G network. and right. to. To, to create tiers within your 5G network just seems problematic. Uh, you don't see AT&T or T-Mobile doing that. And if your competitors aren't doing it, I don't think you're gonna get away with it. No, I, no, I agree. It's, you know, it's gonna overcomplicate matters and, you know, people, they, you know, if they, they're not gonna know, most people don't know the difference between, you know, 5G at millimeter wave bands and no. 5G and at mid band. And they shouldn't, you know, it should just be, hey, <laughs> It's a 5G service. So, but, you know, long story short, Verizon's going to have to put a lot of, um, you know, wood behind the arrow, if that's the correct analogy, to really recoup this. Um, but, hey, great, great discussion there. We could probably go on for hours there. But let me jump to my second topic this week. And um, news out of Mobile World Congress Barcelona. So the show pushed from its traditional February date to the end of June. Um, but the dominoes are beginning to fall. Uh, the first domino yeah. was Ericsson. Yeah, and Ericsson's saying that they're not going to have a physical presence at the show. And then just this week, Nokia announced the same. So two of the biggest cellular infrastructure providers on the planet are not showing up to the show. And some of the two biggest presences at the show. Yeah, so will the show go on? So, you know, we, you know there was also, um, you know, an email sent out by the GSMA uh, addressing a lot of the safety precautions that they'll be taking at the show. Many, many of 
those I found to be very compelling and needed given we're still, you know, trying to put COVID, you know, in the rearview mirror. But as we start seeing these really large um, companies drop out, now, by the way, AT&T has maintained that they're still going to have a presence there. Um, and a, a few other larger, you know, service provider, infrastructure providers will be there as well. But will this thing flip to virtual? What do you think? I think it'll go hard. I think it'll go virtual. Yeah. I think, I mean, the reality is, most shows over the course of the next six months are going to go hybrid, right? You're going to have a virtual presence. You're going to have a physical presence. Uh, I think it would have been smarter for Mobile Congress to have a, to, to, to from the get-go, acknowledge that they will have a hybrid presence yeah. um, and to limit attendance, which I think they already are. I think sure. their plan was 50,000 attendees. Um, but I think the problem is, is that these really big shows don't scale when you limit attendance. Um, I think the biggest problem with GSMA's plans is that they don't really acknowledge what the, what the Spanish government is gonna do. Um, because a lot of governments are still very hesitant to open up travel restrictions, especially to countries like the US um, and China. So, and, and a lot of people aren't really, there aren't even flights to a lot of countries right now. So yeah. um, I think it's too early. Um, and vaccination situations not really being addressed either in that. Um, if I were running a show, I would be requiring vaccination if you want to attend, as well as testing. Um, I think the big problem with MWC's planning was that they were requiring rapid test results, um, as well as PCRs, and I think rapid test results are just not accurate enough right now, or have ever really been. Um, so I, do, I just think it's a risk that it's too early in the year um, and then not enough countries have enough um, vaccinations to really be able to have any kind of big event like this. Um, yeah. Even the U.S., is, which is now leading the world, we're still in the tw low 20s. So um, I, I just think June is too early um, because we won't know the, the real situation until probably June. So I think if you're going to hold a show, it's got to be Q4, which is what a lot of companies seem to be doing now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if any other large dominoes fall, um, it, it will certainly, from my perspective, flip to virtual, but we'll, we'll keep our, um, our ears to the ground and, um, and report back on a future podcast. Let's, um, let's move to your second topic this week. And I, I've heard rumors about this, you know, Apple with its designs on 5G Silicon. And so you've actually got some news to share there. Yeah. So yesterday, actually not two days ago, Apple announced that they'd be investing $1.2 billion in Germany, which is already their primary presence in Europe. Um, and they will be um, spending this money over the next three years. Uh, they currently have about 1,500 employees uh, in this Munich designed facility, um, but they will be expanding it, um, building a new 30,000 square meter facility, which is enormous. Um, and this facility will be primarily focused on building uh, 5G and future wireless technology silicon. So this is going to be mostly uh, a way for Apple to bolster its capabilities uh, in the wireless space uh, as they ramp uh, the Intel acquisition uh, from in the Intel acquisition to build 5G modems. Uh, and I can speak from experience here in San Diego, uh, they have ramped their hiring very aggressively. They now have 
hundreds of positions open here in San Diego. Uh, so I believe that they're going to be expanding their presence here as well, uh, albeit very quietly. Um, but there was an announcement uh, years ago that Intel or that Apple would be expanding its presence here in San Diego uh, when they were having their legal dispute with Qualcomm. Um, and they kind of did telegraph that, um, but they will be, you know, this is all about building 5G silicon and eventually building their own 5G modems. So they now have, you know, people in Cupertino, people in San Diego and people in Munich. So those are gonna be probably their three primary design centers for 5G silicon. Yeah, you know, so from your perspective, I mean, how far, you know, is Apple away from really sort of closing the gap here with their own solution? I think realistically, we're still probably another three to four years out. Um, if you look at their agreements with Qualcomm, I believe they're five or six year agreements and those were made in 2019. So I think we're probably going to see something from them in the next three to four years as a actual product. Mm -hmm. It could happen sooner, um, but just these things take time. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, get themselves involved in all the standards organizations, which they are in a lot of senses. Um, but they have to also, if they really want to have a real 5G modem that they don't have to pay as much for licensing, uh, they will need to start to add add things to the standards as as part of the organization, as opposed to just being a member. Um, and and actually filing for 5G patents in the modem space, uh, because otherwise they're going to still have to license from the Ericsons and the Qualcomms of the world uh, yeah. to build their modems, which will still cost them more money. But yeah. I think that they will want to have their own IP and they'll want to have their own, um, you know, silicon built into, because I think the reality is long term, the modems will be integrated. I don't think this will be discrete. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and Apple's all about its own ecosystem. Right. So, you know, that, that that's the reason why they acquired Intel's, you know, business. And this isn't a trivial undertaking. You know, silicon yeah. is complicated. 5G's a, yeah. And, and 5G is a heavy lift and Qualcomm's been doing it forever. Um, and, you know, Ericsson's got capabilities there as well. So it'll be interesting to see how things uh, wind out there. Um, let me jump to my third topic this week, and I want to talk about Nokia. A couple of things happened this week. One, they hosted an analyst session where they did a deep dive into C-band and kind of compared and contrasted that to um, CBRS. And, you know, I actually learned quite a bit. You know, they, they had a few technical folks on the call. And, you know, um, you're a little more technical because you get into the kind of the nits and nuts of, um, of the end devices and the modems. But... You know, I, I was impressed to learn about just the power and performance characteristics of C-band versus CBRS. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I came away with the knowledge of, hey, you know, CBRS truly is um, more ideally suited for, for enterprise private networking deployment from a spectrum perspective. When you look at those characteristics relative to C-band, which is going to provide, um, you know, the, the bandwidth and the power you know, to, to, you know, um, you know, to basically power, you know, public, you know, cellular network. So, you know, I thought that was interesting. Um, they also had an announcement this week where they announced a, a platform that's going to support their, their open RAN initiatives. And so they, they have one of the first, um, you know, certified platforms that is ORAN compliant. 
And, you know, from my perspective, you know, these are, these are two areas that Nokia is really betting strongly on. They're betting strongly and leaning into private networking. They have yeah. over 260 um, customers, they claim, that have multiple network deployments. So it's more than 260 deployments, but 260 discrete customers that have deployed their private networking solutions. And they are absolutely the uh, unchallenged leader with respect to their traditional peers and Huawei and Ericsson and Samsung networks in leading the open, open RAN initiative. Because I mean, honestly, they have new leadership in place. Um, right. Financially, they've struggled, right? And, and these two areas represent net new opportunities for them. So um, I continue to be impressed with how they're doubling and tripling down into these areas. I don't know if you have any, any um, insight there as well, buddy. I do. And this reminds me of something that I actually forgot to mention during the Verizon component of things. Yeah. Uh, Verizon is supposedly going to roll out open RAN um, based equipment in their C-band spectrum, which mm -hmm. is probably one of the ways they're going to be able to do it without overspending. Um, I think it's interesting because CBRS is something that Verizon also has. So I think Verizon is primed to be one of Nokia's big opportunities uh, for growth in the future, because if you look at what they're doing, um, CBRS is very much a local, um, a local indoor, you know, not very high broadcast application. Uh, Verizon's obviously doing it because they have the spectrum and they're wanting, they're probably going to use it primarily for uh, private 5G applications, what's right. that available, because right now it's only a 4G. Um, but I think it's really interesting because this does position Nokia uh, as, as a unique play in the mid-band spectrum, because that's a really yeah. great application for open RAN. Um, yeah. And I think that Verizon might be their big opportunity in the US, because um, I know that they're already working with T-Mobile. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how it grows for them. Yeah. You know, it makes perfect sense, right? You know, we were just talking about Verizon, you know, and the amount of money that they've spent on C-band, you know, and all of that. And they're going to have to find ways to get more efficient with their CapEx spend. And certainly OpenRAN can do that with disaggregated hardware and software, leveraging, you know, industry standard, you know, equipment uh, to lower that overall cost. But then there are integration challenges that come along with that. So it's not a, it's not a one for one. I mean, some carriers like Rakuten will claim that, hey, we've seen fantastic, you know, CapEx savings and fantastic OPEX savings with it. But, you know, Rakuten has also had some integration challenges that we've talked about on prior podcasts as well. So, but, but I agree with you. It's like, I, I'm not surprised to hear that news because Verizon's going to have to get really clever with respect to managing that CapEx line. So good stuff, buddy. Well, let's go to your third topic this week. And you want to talk about GoGo and they're the guys on the airplane, right? Yeah. Which none of us has really, have really seen much this year. Um, so basically GoGo was planning to roll out a, its own 5G network for the planes that that you know use their service because yeah. uh, GoGo is a combination of terrestrial and satellite, um, but their satellite, their terrestrial network is currently 4G, um, and they planned to upgrade 250 of their cell towers to 5G using uh, Airspan's virtualized RAM mm -hmm. um, with a proprietary modem um, using MIMO uh, or massive MIMO. 
And the thing is, is that this would be transmitting on the 2.4 gigahertz uh, unlicensed band to these 20 mounted antennas at the bottom of the lanes. And they're saying that they have to push to 2022 um, due to problems stemming from the global chipset shortage. So mm -hmm. I think that's a convenient problem for them. I don't think it's necessarily a, a huge one because people are not flying that much anyways. So I'm pretty sure most um, of their network is not very, very loaded right now. Um, so there's a lot less volume and a lot less people flying, but I do think that they will want to have it rolled out next year when I believe a lot of plane travel will start to happen again. Um, mm -hmm. This is in the U.S., um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the chipset shortage clears out by the end of the year and they'll be able to, uh, you know, start to, to get those chipsets that they need to build up this network. But it's good to hear that they're rolling out their 5G network is just unfortunate that it's happening a year later now than expected. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't really used their service. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little frugal when I fly and some, you know, and I also like to use that time to, to decompress because, you know, before COVID, you and I and our principal, Patrick, probably spent three weeks a month on, on airplanes. But honestly, you know, once they get that 5G network rolled out, you know, I'll, I'll probably give it a try. You know, so <laughs> I've actually been a very huge user of their service. Um, sometimes, if I travel a lot in a month, I'll buy their monthly plan. Yeah. Um, I just upgraded myself to T-Mobile Max, which includes free Wi-Fi on on GoGo. So oh, that's right. I I won't really have to worry about that, but I will be using the hell out of it when I start flying again. Absolutely. Well, hey, buddy, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. Uh, we hope that our listeners this week enjoyed this week's topics. Uh, and if anyone out there would like to provide insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Downtech, and I'm at Anshal Saad. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.